chapter 1 and verse 8. It's our memory verse, and I just want to try tonight to talk to you about caring about a whole lot of people and talk a little bit about how to reach them. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Now, if you'll, if you'll think about it, when we look at this, a verse like this, I want you to see, uh, look at verse 1. I'm just going to read it again, just so that we get some thoughts out of verse 8. It says, but ye shall receive power. Ye is singular or plural? It's plural, so it's a lot of, it's all Christians, all right, a lot of people, but all Christians, he's speaking to Christians, ye all shall receive power. After that, <clears throat> the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. There are five things that every that God, according to that verse and according to the, the background of that verse, that God has just given to us, just for a purpose, but landed in our lap that are um, uh, maybe what we didn't expect. Now, when we got saved, we got God's Son. When we got saved, the Bible said that God so loved the world that He gave us His Son. So salvation is not what you do, it's Jesus. And when you get him, when you receive him, you get saved. So God gave you his son. Secondly, God gave you his spirit. The Bible says, after that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. When does the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, when does he come upon you? At salvation. Now, during the time of Acts, there was a bit of a transition. Someone would get saved, and then an apostle would lay hands on him, and then, wow, then the Holy Spirit would come on him. That was for the Jews. That is not how people get the Holy Spirit now. You don't need me to lay hands on you. You don't need anybody to pray for you. But the Jews needed to see what people group getting saved just like them. What was it that that the Jews needed to be um, um, taught and needed to be convinced were just as saved, born again as they were? Who was it? The Gentiles. So God separated the event of belief and the filling of the Holy Spirit just for one purpose, so that the, the, the believers got the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So they knew, wow, all right, we're in a new dispensation. Wow, we've got, we've got something new here. It's old wineskins have to be thrown away. You've got to have new wineskins. You have to have a new covenant. And the Holy Spirit comes into that new, new believer. Now, he did that so that when the Jews, when the Gentiles got saved, then they had the gift of tongues, and they were given the power of the Holy Spirit, which is going to happen in the next chapter. What chapter are we in in Acts? Chapter 1. Chapter 2 is that filling. Chapter 10, you have um, uh, Cornelius, and he's believing, but then the Holy Ghost comes upon him, and they start speaking in tongues, all for the Jews, not for the Gentile. The Gentile was going to be um, uh, saved by their faith, and then the filling of the Holy Spirit, no matter what. But the Jews got to watch the same thing happened to them. So the point go back to us. God gave us his spirit, which is his presence. Did you ever notice why the King James Bible uses the word ghost? Because ghost means the presence of someone. So the Holy Ghost is not just the spirit, but the presence of God. So his spirit is in the believer. Third thing that he gives us is power. Notice this says, "Ye shall receive power." Go to first. Uh, uh, go to Second Timothy one seven. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter one and verse seven. Second mm-hmm. Timothy one seven says, "For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of what? 
all right, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God has given us power. Now, what would it mean, Weston? When this is power, does that mean so I can fly? Does that mean so I can raise the dead? What's the power there for? All right, excellent. All right, primarily, it is so I can live the life. But the reason why I'm living the Christian life is to be a witness. We think to live the Christian life means so that I can be happy. But no, I can actually be holy and I can actually be burdened about the loss because of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. If, like Brother uh, Leighton was talking this morning, if as a Christian you're lacking something, if in your life you're just lacking that passion and that desire uh, for church and for the Bible, if you're lethargic, if you're just just apathetic, there's only one reason why. It's because the Holy Spirit is not important in your life. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're not having a relationship with the God who empowers you to live. Um, in Him was life, and the life is the light of men. And when it grows, when, when our when our when our life grows dim, it's because I'm not close to Him. I'm just not spending any time with Him. So, but He gives us power. Now, all that is for the singular purpose. Acts one eight is about one thing, not the happy life but about fulfilling the Great Commission. Commission is a, if I gave <clears throat> to Patrick, and I gave Patrick lots of things to do this past week, uh, there were a few people that I would just turn to. I'd say to Joshua Vofango, I need this done. I said to Patrick, we need that done. Joshua, I said, and Eric was dumping on you all the time. Those are commissions. That's your responsibility. I need you to do this. Well, God gave us His Son, His Spirit, and His power for the singular purpose of fulfilling the Great Commission. That's our job. Five, and then He gave us a goal. And those four regions, as we saw, are in Jerusalem and Samaria, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the innermost parts of the earth. That's a lot of ground to cover. I don't know how many square kilometers that is. I don't know how to compute how much the earth to conquer would involve. But Jesus said, get to it. Now, what's amazing is the first century Christians did it. We think that, that, you know, it was all just locked up there in, in, in Israel and maybe a few regions around. But that's not what the Bible says. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad. Now, this is after the persecution by Saul of Tarsus. It says they went where? And when it says everywhere, I believe they went everywhere preaching the word. Not just everywhere in town, but they kept being... Uh, what was their motivation? Somebody raise your hand. Why were they moved on and constantly going further and further? Somebody raise your hand tell me. What was their motivation? Yes, they were being horrendously persecuted. And, and we think that would be terrible. Well, evidently it wasn't so bad because the gospel was being spread very fast... Very far. I'll go take you to another scripture. Colossians chapter 1. God bless you. Colossians chapter 1. And Colossians chapter 1 says something that very few people really pay much attention to. But it's a revelation about what Paul knew to be true in the first century. He's running around 65 AD. It's been only 30 years since the death of Christ. And listen to what he says starting in verse 4. Well, verse 3, he says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, for you Colossians. Verse 4, verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and we've heard of the love which ye have to all the saints, 
For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is now come unto you as it is in how much of the world? In all the world. And bringeth forth fruit. It does produce fruit as it doth also in you since the day that you heard it, heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Now I know a lot of people don't believe that verse, but I believe that verse. I believe by the middle of the first century, just 30 years after Christ, the gospel had gotten to China. That didn't mean that everybody in China had heard, but the gospel had gotten to China. The gospel had gotten down to South Africa. The gospel had gotten all the way up to Ireland. The gospel was already on ships going over to the American Indians. I don't understand it all. I just know that everywhere people go, they find, they find evidence of the gospel. They find the evidence of early, early, early Christian influences, even in the end of, of the first century. And I just think that they didn't have the ability, they were running for their lives constantly, they didn't have the ability to build big buildings and build monuments to Christianity. They were running for their life. But they were taking the gospel everywhere. So the first century Christians had the Son of God, filled with the Spirit, empowered by, the, by God, fulfilling the Great Commission, and they were reaching all four regions of the world. In the first century, without the internet, without petrol and diesel, without electricity, they were doing it. Definitely, no one is exempt today from doing their part as well. We may use different means. We use the internet, we use advertising, but all people everywhere need to be witness to it. And that's my goal tonight, is to really just stir up that reminder that everybody needs the gospel. So, let me say that first of all, every person needs the gospel. Take your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. <clears throat> you say, you're preaching to the choir, Brother Ledbetter. Oh, yeah, I hope so, but the choir better be soul winning. <laughs> Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus is alive. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They weren't sure if they were really seeing him. They thought they were seeing a spirit. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. So go ye therefore and teach how many nations? That's a lot of nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them all to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo, guess what? I'm going with you. All the way, even to the end of the world. That's why it says all way and not just all ways. So I'm going with you all the way, even to the end of the world. Mark chapter 16. Last chapter in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. <clears throat> Brother Darren, what do you think most Christians think Christian, the focus of Christianity is? What is what is the mindset of most Christians? And I don't know how to ask this without actually giving the answer. Um, uh, how far do they see Christianity working in their mind? How far do they see their responsibility? Okay, so mainly they think about themselves trying to get to church on time, trying, trying to read their Bible. So they're constantly working mm, like, a, like a hamster in their little... Wheel, that's their world. And a lot of Christians, wouldn't you agree, are just stuck in their wheel. They're stuck in their little clear aquarium box. But we forget that Christ did not see us just sitting there spinning our little wheel. He said, I want you to go to how many 
and preached to how many? Look at Mark 16, 15. Mark 16, 15. I can get there myself. And he said unto them, Go ye, speaking to all of them, into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And that's a lot of things. Now, I took that literally when I was first called to preach. I was terrified. still am. And so um, I wrote out probably a four-point message or whatever. And when I went out into the woods where I used to go driving my car and racing around, I went to that place. It kind of... It kind of had a, 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 it had a good distance between other houses so I could go out there and I just preached to the squirrels. <laughs> you, you, you need to be saved. <laughs> I didn't know how I'd ever face a human being, so I preached to creatures first. So that's what I, I was taking the verse literally. But it just means everything that's breathing, you should preach the gospel to. Go to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24. In verse 46. Luke 24 and 46. Each time we're looking at the last words of Jesus before He ascended up to heaven, and He said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that faith, is that what it says? No. It says repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and ye are a witness of these things. And then he makes his promise, verse 49, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, which is the Holy Spirit, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. But that verse back there, he said, I want you to preach repentance and the removal, the forgiveness of sins. So, every person needs the gospel, including the religious and the very devout. Go to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, 17. Guess who Paul went and preached to every time he came into a town? Who's the first people group he would go in to give the gospel to? The Jews. Now, here's Weston. Weston goes to New York City, doesn't know anybody, but he meets a guy and he talks with a Dublin accent. Guess what you would feel comfortable doing? Talking to your own kind. Talking to somebody and say, hey, are you from Ireland? So am I, you know. Whatever, how long you been over here? Whatever, all of a sudden, say, uh, you want to go get a, a bike? Show me around, but I'd really like to talk to you about something. Paul, everywhere he talked to his people first, to the Jew first, Acts 17, 17. Verse 16, now while Paul waited for them, this is at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him, and I wish God would stir our spirits. When he saw the city holy, completely given to idolatry. Therefore, disputed he where? So he goes into the synagogue with the Jews and he starts with those devout persons and in the market daily with them that met with him. So, when you give the gospel to somebody, you're going to have to give it. You need to give it to the people who have a, that they're carrying a cross when on their way to go meet the Pope. Stop them and say, listen, would you read this on your way? <laughs> That person who has, and I've been in plenty of houses, as soon as you go in their house, they've got, a, they've got a lit up picture of the Pope with a light under it, or uh, at least Mary's got a light under it. You see a picture of the Pope, and you see John F. Kennedy over in the far <laughs> corner over. And, and they've got little icons everywhere and pictures of, 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 of uh, the Holy Family. Speaking of that thing, you see a statue of Mary out in the back garden there. And um, give them the gospel. You see, but they're so devout. They need the gospel. Everybody needs the gospel. 
devout people and very educated people. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, Then certain of the philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics, they encountered him. Wouldn't it be great if the unsaved encountered more Christians? The Epicureans would never have heard the gospel if Paul wasn't busy just giving the gospel to everybody and bumping into some very intellectual people. And some said, whoa, what will this babbler say? And others, some said, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him, I like this, they grabbed him and they brought him all the way up to a place called Mars Hill, Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is? Tell us this new thing. For thou bringest certain strange things to our ears, and we would know whereof thou hast, wherefore, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. In verse 22, then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. I can only imagine he had 200, 300 people as an audience. Mars Hill is still there today. You can go into a little... Um, uh, uh, raised amphitheater, you're sitting there and your voice as you speak is echoed behind you. It clearly was heard by hundreds of people and he was given just a few minutes to speak to that crowd of very arrogant, very proud, philosophical, lost, educated people. And he gave them the gospel. And he said, he stood in the midst of Mars Hill and he said, ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things, as intelligent as you are, you're, you're super superstitious. Too superstitious. As I passed by and I beheld all your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown tongue, uh, sorry, unknown tongue, unknown God, whom thou therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So he's witnessing to the highly educated. He also witnessed to the pagans. Now when we go to Jonah, who were the pagans that Jonah was told to go witness to? The Ninevites. Um, this, is, this is a crazy thing, but... There are people all over the world who still drink cow's blood for health. They worship idols of stone and of wood. And the Jews always had a problem with this. The Jews were your, your, your first Calvinists. The Jews thought that God was only in the, interested in the Jews and would never waste his time being interested in a Gentile. So when God said to Jonah, go to the Ninevites, Jonah went, whoa, no way. He was your basic first type of, of uh, racist that said, if they're not Jew, Jewish, they're not worth giving a truth to. He wasn't going to go. And you know, there are people that, that you won't cross over the street to because maybe they've hurt you. You won't go the extra mile and give the gospel to simply because they're not like you. Um, I think David Murphy was talking about um, his testimony when he was giving the gospel to three different people on, on the walk. And he said the first one said, no, 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 no. The second one, no, 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 no. And then the third one went, yeah, I, I, uh, I believe in God. And he said, yay. <laughs> and, but sometimes we only go to the people that want to hear. You need to go to people who don't want to hear. The gospel is for the pagans who are up to the wazoo in their false religion. And if you're not talking to if you're not encountering Muslims with the gospel, then you're not giving the gospel because they're out there. We give the gospel to pagans. But it gets even wilder. 
We're supposed to give the gospel to people who we know are going to reject it. Now, the illustration this morning was perfect when Brother um, uh, uh, Leighton Kelly, in, in Mark chapter 10, he had the rich man who came running up, and it says Jesus hated him. No, it says Jesus loved the man. Now, the, again, the Calvinists say that God doesn't love anybody who will not get saved. Did you ever hear that? It absolutely will turn your stomach when you read a lot of Calvinistic doctrine, and I'm not a Calvinist. And if you're a Calvinist, I pray for you. But I'll say this. He loved a man he knew would reject him. You know what the point is? Jesus still took the time to tell him what to do to be saved. Don't You say, well, this person will never get saved. Don't you say that. You have no idea. And even if they don't, your responsibility is to give the gospel to every person on the planet, including the rejectors, and especially to those that, the, that, that people have given up on. I call them the hopeless. Go to Matthew 9. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9. <clears throat> this is great. Because you've got to get the humor in the Bible. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've got a hodgepodge of people being called by Jesus to follow him. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the receipt of custom. He's a tax collector. And he saith unto him, what? Follow me. And in an instant, he arose and he followed him. Do you know, no... Nobody who was already following Jesus, nobody who already was looking unto Jesus as the Messiah and as the Savior of the world would have given Matthew a second thought. Why? Because rich people don't easily get saved. Because people who have money coming in through both fingers, into both pockets, they're living high on the hog. They're a hopeless case. They're not going to get saved. Don't ever say that. Jesus just walked up to a man who, was, who had the life, who had the money, who had the power, he could look at somebody and say, your tax is 15 pieces of silver, but you have to pay me 20. He had the power to charge anything he wanted. That's why people hated the tax collectors. And Jesus just said, follow me, because no hopeless case exists with Jesus. So don't imagine for one second there's a hopeless cause, because the Apostle Paul used to be the killer Saul. There's no hopeless case. Every person needs the gospel. Every culture needs the gospel. Now, what is culture? Culture is the way a particular group of people sees life. That's their culture. You go down and you get the drug culture. How does a drug culture see life? It's, it's, they, they have no life in there unless they're in that buzz. Okay? Uh, there are different cultures, subcultures we call them. The British see life a little different than the French, don't they? <laughs> uh, the Germans... I mean, things are right on spot time, clockwork. They see, their culture is very precise, very regimented. That's culture. That's how they see life. Well, that includes their language, so the way that they use words, the description of words, their religion, their cuisine, their social habits, their music and art. That's culture. Guess what? Don't think that some places are pretty good. I used to believe that. I used to believe that there were some places in the world, like I thought Ireland was, when we arrived here 24 years ago, I thought Ireland was a pretty moral place. We found out otherwise. We found out there are a lot of 
the legitimate children born in the last 70 years, children born before uh, uh, or conceived before the wedding, and kids being born, we found out priests were messing around, we found nuns, we found out that the pretty moral place called Ireland is not so moral. The, the sexual abuse was widespread, hush-hush. So don't think that, that some cultures are doing okay. Don't think America's doing okay. Every culture without God is dark. John 3, Gospel of John, chapter 3. I was sharing with um, Brother Layton this afternoon. I said, before I came to Ireland... I actually met lots of people and I told them, I'm coming to Ireland. I'm going to go preach the gospel over in Ireland. And they look at me going, aren't they all Christian there? And yet that's true. A lot of people think, oh, they must be okay. No. Listen, they may have religion. They may have a sense of morality. They may have their church, but they didn't have God. Still don't. John chapter, what did I tell you? John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that light, speaking of Jesus, is come into the world, watch those words, the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So light has come into the world and the world is what? What is the Bible implying there? The world is dark. Every culture needs the gospel. Why? Well, because without Bible preaching, without what we have here on Sunday morning, without a, 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 a God-ordained, established um, uh, uh, de facto list of what's right and what's wrong, man's culture is, raw, is dark. Go back to chapter 1 in John. John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Speaking of Jesus. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth where? It shines in the darkness. And the darkness comprehendeth it not. Where was the darkness? In the world that He came into. Look down there in verse, uh, verse 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world and the world was made by Him. But the world knew Him not. He came into His own and His own received Him not. So when he came into this world, the world was dark. So every culture without God is dark. And without hard, strong Bible preaching and a godly Christian living in, that, in the midst of that, that culture, that culture is wicked. And it may be hidden, like, like they're exposing the, the Catholic priests right now. The darkness in a culture may be hidden. But it's there. And you've got, to, you've got to realize that we think that there are some awful, wicked, dark cultures in the deepest of Africa and over there in, 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 the, uh, in um, uh, Asia and, and um, around, what's the, um, Southern Asia there, all of that area is the 1040 window. We think, oh, those, those are dark cultures. No, dark cultures right across the street. And dark cultures over in Belgium and in, and in Scotland and in France and in in, in Spain, every culture without, and I'm going to say it, without a Bible-preaching influence of gospel-preaching churches is dark. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter 4.
First Peter chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says this, For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles. You know, it, it, look back at our, all we did was the will of other people. When we walked, that's how we lived, in lasciviousness and lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it's strange that ye Christians run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Now here's the truth. Every culture needs Bible preaching and teaching churches that build a strong foundation for a right kind of culture. Jesus said you need a foundation. The, the, the way, you know, if you're in a different culture and they, they speak a different language, that doesn't mean that everybody has to speak English. It doesn't mean everybody has to wear a tie. It doesn't mean everybody has to uh, be like a certain type of, of way to look and, 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 and smell. And Listen, it just means that their culture is founded on Scripture and their culture has integrity and honesty you should be able to go to any culture in this world and be able to tell instantly, has this been influenced by the Bible or not? And I'm telling you, I don't know hardly any cultures that are being influenced by the Bible anymore. So guess what? Missions is about not just praying for the lost, but praying that churches get started there and that influence their countries. Because what are we doing with Brother Leighton Kelly? We're supporting him to influence a culture, aren't we? A drug culture. Reaching into that culture so that they change from their addiction and change to a life in Christ. And it took a church to do that, didn't it? It took LifeGate stepping out and saying, we're going to reach in and we're going to influence that culture. And here in Ballincollig and here in Cork, there ought to be a great burden to have an influence. Hence, our parade. Why, why, why in the world walk in a parade? I mean, we're... This is, I'm not for us to just go walk into a parade and have balloons and candy. The reason why we walk down that parade here in Ballincollig is to influence the people of Ballincollig. So they see next year, this next Patrick's Day, I can't wait for our lion and our fiery furnace. That's what I wanted up there. I want our uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this fiery furnace there going down the street and the lion's roaring and uh, Daniel on the street waving, and everybody realizing, Daniel lines down. Why? Because if we don't, darkness takes over, and the pride group will get in. The queers will be mark watching around, marking around, and handing rainbow balloons to the children, making them think, this is family fun. This is where the fun is. Well, we have to have an influence. We have, you say, and we get together on a, uh, uh, on a regular basis and look at the finances, and we go, how are we going to get through this month? But do you know what we're doing? We're stretching ourselves. We're spending every penny because we want to influence Ballincollig. We want to influence Cork. That is the most important thing you've got to think about in Christianity. I'm going to stop with this thought. I can finish the rest of it in another week. Stop thinking about the little gerbil wheel that you're struggling in. Start worrying about influencing our culture. One of the ways you do that is you carry your Bible to work. You carry your Bible to school. You speak up and you give a Bible verse as an answer to people's problems. You shine. I like how um, Brother Layton said, you, you take a risk. You do something risky, like, like opening your mouth and telling somebody, 
That's not what happened to me. I, man, my baptism didn't do any good for me. I needed to get born again. The point is this. Every culture needs the gospel. Our culture needs the influence of this church. We need it big time that we take it very seriously that we don't just meet and spin in our little gerbil wheels. You know what a gerbil is? Am I saying the wrong word? Yeah, okay. A little rat in your... <laughs> in a little aquarium. A little furry rat. That's what it is. So... All right, I'm going to uh, finish with that and uh, we're going to pray. Father, uh, burden our hearts, God, because I, I don't know how to get everybody to, to be burdened. I'm trying everything I can to get the gospel out. I'm trying everything I can to get Christians to open their eyes and to look at the world as souls. I'm trying everything I can to get people to see that we have a responsibility. You, you, you're not asking us to do this without the proper equipment. You gave us your Son. You gave us the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. You gave us power to live the Christian life in the midst of persecution. Then you gave us a job to do, a commission, a, a, a reason to live, which is going. And then you gave us a goal. You said, go as far as you can. Reach to the end of the world. Find the furthest island. Find the most, the most lost people group. Never be satisfied with the people who are easy. Do the hard people. Do the impossible people. Love this world. That's what you told us. Now we'll never do it until we have a relationship with you like we spoke in this morning. We can't do it. We'll burn out. We can't. Do the Christian life. We can't care about this world until we are filled with you and with a walk with you that changes our hearts. So Lord, I thank you for tonight for these people who are here. May we take this, this opening of our eyes and take it seriously that our culture needs the gospel. Every person, there's nobody that we pass that we shouldn't, we shouldn't shudder at the thought they're going to hell. We should hesitate and go, do I have a gospel track? Shouldn't I, shouldn't I talk to them? Shouldn't I do something? I can't just walk by. Not anymore. Because every person, every culture needs the gospel. So thank you for your word. Thank you for convicting us tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Grab your hymnal there.